conclusion of the Toll Network. This is Laser Knees number 79, Sentai Anxiety. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Thief Sentai Lupin Ranger versus Police Sentai Pot Ranger. Episode 39, I'll Bet on This. And episode 40, Can't Stop Worrying, which is big mood. Yeah, too real. Well, let's see. Who, who did that? Uh, our... Who wrote that episode so I could... Tell them they were too real. Our writer for 39 was Komura Junko, but for 40, it was Yamatoya Akatsuki. Yamatoya Akatsuki? Too real. And then our director for both is Watanabe Katsuya. Who did a good job. Though I I confess, I was sort of sad that we didn't get more really big camera tricks. Yeah, because especially in 39, there was a lot of good opportunity for them. Yeah, because they aren't... They aren't gone, thank goodness. But, just, but either I'm getting really used to them, or they are kind of scaling down the scope of them. It just—it wasn't as much as the last two episodes. Like the last two episodes had a lot of really amazing camera work, even on like still shots that weren't quite in these episodes. Well, you know that's that's okay too. But I'm glad it wasn't just me dreaming it, because you know it's e- it's easy to. It's easy to let some of the really cool stuff fade into the background for you, which is not not always the best thing, especially when it's those really nice cameras. But hey, uh, speaking of things that we were a little less than enthused about, let's let's just get our nitpicks out of the way for these episodes so we can talk about a pretty good pair of Sentai episodes. Yeah. Okay, this isn't necessarily bad, or really even the worst, it's just... I need some perspective on this, and maybe I just missed something. I don't really understand why Toma and, to a lesser degree, Umika are so hesitant to talk to Noelle about Zemigo. Like, the rationale that they give is that it's because Noelle is affiliated with the Lupin family. But I'm not really sure why that's a problem. Like, especially since, you know, Toma respects Noelle and his work and his intel... And they know that Noel is also trying to save someone. If it was Kyrie, I'd understand, because he's been shown to make very irrational calls when it comes to Zemigo. So, like, that kind of, like, paranoia, I guess? Because I don't know what he's afraid of happening, but it's... It would be justified because Kyrie doesn't... There isn't a reason for the way Kyrie acts. He just kind of does whatever feels right in the moment that he thinks will get him his brother back. But Toma, Toma's reactions to things are much more rational, so wouldn't he want any information that Noel had on Zemigo via the police file that he mentions? Yeah, I... That's a very good question, because I'm very much at the same thing. Because I, I can see a few different scenarios where if you squint and sort of tilt your head to one side, it might make some sense, but... I mean, unless the thought is... We want to make sure we are the ones who shoot this dude in the face. It's not going to be that simple. No, I said in the face. That's the only reason I can think of, because they hate that dude. Because he murdered or, you know, kidnapped, but it, it sure looked and probably felt like a murder, all these people who were important to them. So, you know, let let the super genius hypertech engineer know that you hate this guy and why. Because, yeah, it, it it would be a lot more useful to just have that information out there. 
Like, because why wouldn't you want it? Even at the end, they're why? like, oh, well, we can't tell Kogure. And I'm like, why, though? Yeah. Why can't you tell why Kogure? Yeah. He already knows that you're out here to save your friends, right? Like, he already... Doesn't he already know about Zamigo? Like, he was there for all of them. Yeah! I I mean, that's certainly, at the very least, what the, the opening implies. Because he's, he's got the pages, and they're, you know, they're all in the ice and screaming and stuff. So, I feel like the implication is he knows... Why wouldn't he know? I just yeah, like I'm I'm just very confused as to why they're like let's not talk about this. Yeah, it's I am also very confused and the only thing I can think is we don't want Lupin and or Noel and or the police to kill this guy before we yeah, do. See if if they're But that's not the how they play it. If the rationale had been we don't want him telling the police because they may be able to put together who we are from this information, yeah. like that I would get. But but Kogure? I, like like I their their rationale is we don't want anyone from the Lupin family knowing about Zamigo and I don't understand why. Yeah, well, me either. It is it is a mystery. A really weird, really silly mystery. I also, but that's... Yeah. I also have really mixed feelings on Super Lupin Red, primarily because on its own, it makes me think of Boken Silver, but it also makes me think of Go on Silver, especially when <laughs> um, you've got the other one that reminds me of Go on Gold, and those are very different ends of how I feel about a Sixth Ranger. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, I'm re-watching Go Onger with someone, and we had to skip, like, four episodes just because we could not stand the Go On Wings. Like, it's... They're still really bad. They're unpleasant That's... to watch. Yeah. But the upgrade itself, like, it looks fine enough, especially compared to the other one. Like, it, it looks... Yeah, well... It looks fine. It's not that bad, but what led me to put it here instead of down in our good things section is that noise. That kind of high-pitched noise that happens anytime Kyrie is, like, anticipating moves. Because that's the worst, and it makes those scenes really unpleasant to watch. Really? Well, like, and I'm not trying to say, like, that's that's bad, just... I have different audio stuff going, so I, I confess I barely even notice the sound. But you know that's that's legit though. Cause... Yeah, like as it is, I'm very sensitive to noise, and the noise it makes is the exact pitch of my tinnitus. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, um, yeah, that'll do it. So yeah. it is. It is unpleasant any time that's happening, and I really yeah, wish that it would not. Yeah, I can I can dig on that because that certainly sounds like a special circle of hell. Um, for my own part, on just the design though, I because again I'm not catching the the audio stuff in the same way. I it is better than the tank shoulders that that uh, they put on Super Loop and X or is he only for Loop and X or is it for Pat Patron X? I forget. Either way, it doesn't look as good. I would assume Patronex, because it was supposed to be, uh, you know, Super Pat Ichigo, 
and then yeah, but he was and then he didn't uh, make the money. Well, but but they keep putting on the silver form, so I don't know. But it it does look better. So that one does look better on Noel than it would have on Super Pat Ichigo, because boy, the gold would not have looked good with that suit. Just it would not. Though I, I will say, like, just just one more thing to be nice about, like actively nice instead of like, well, it's better than this other one. I think the the split cape it has is really cute insofar as it's it's evoking plain wings while letting them keep the cape. That is cute. That's it is yeah, it is a nice feature clever. of the design. Yeah, don't know how good it is, but it's it's a nice idea. So for forty, I don't appreciate opening this episode with the idea of everyone joking about Kyrie sabotaging the bistro, because that's not what he's doing when he runs off, and everyone knows it. Like everyone knows he's out looking for Ganglar and probably specifically Zamigo. And then also, you know, bringing up like, oh, I hope he's not tired of looking for the Lupin collection, because again, he is literally out spending his time looking for Gangler. And, like, y'all know that. I mean, I guess in, in Toma and Umika's case, they were trying to cover for him, since for, again, I don't understand why, they don't want to talk to Kogure about Zamigo. Which, I mean, we just said it, but weird. A little confusing. Um, but then when they're tailing him, Toma's like, oh, he's probably just slacking off. And, like, y'all should know him better by now. It's episode 40. Yeah, no. And even if they do think he's slacking off, I mean, one, you guys have been fighting Gangler for about a year. You can understand why a dude might want to take a second off. But also, like, dude has earned a little bit of trust from you. Not that I don't understand frustration if you think he's just... If he's, if he's like, sneaking off when they were busy, which is not a thing they're showing him doing, I could see why they're upset, because if you've ever been short-staffed at a, at a customer service job when, uh, when things get really busy, that sucks. But he seems to be just running out when things are slow anyway, so, like, what's, what's the problem? Yeah, like, they weren't even open either time he took off. Yeah. And, and more than anything, I'm just, much as I know that it would make the entire episode not happen, and it's, it is a fun episode that I enjoy quite a lot, and including one of my favorite ganglers, freaking ever, I just keep coming back to, wouldn't it have been much easier to say, hey man, we notice you keep just stepping out in a way that you think is really sly and sneaky, but isn't? Because you're not actually being sly or sneaky. Uh, what's going on, dude? What's up? Do you have a thing you are doing? Like, are you cool, buddy? Are you... Yeah, we, we alright? You're not, like, on any drugs? You're not my dad, dad. Are you taking care of, a, of a, like, a puppy in a shack by the river? What's up? Just... You know, talk to us. It's been I... 40 episodes. Yeah, it's been 40 episodes, and this was not written by Toshiki in a way. Let's communicate like people who work together. Also, Umiko, why do you have to bring up the leotard thing, like, every couple of episodes? Like, leave Toma alone, it clearly makes him unhappy to talk about it, just let it go. 
Also, he was he was a, under attack by a gangler. Man, had have they ever brought up the time you went on a date with Sakuya? I'm just saying. Just like, just leave, you, leave him alone. Yeah, he's he was he was under he was under a spell, and also he pulled off that look better than either you two would have. Sorry, we all know it's true. He looks better in that spandex than Umika would have. This is no shade on her. I'm just saying. Yeah, no. I look. Toma rocked it, and we all yeah. we all know and agree. Yeah, and if you don't agree, that's fine. You're allowed to disagree. You're incorrect, but you're allowed to be incorrect because we live in a because you're allowed to be incorrect on the internet. Anyway, um, let's let's move along and just get into the good stuff because there was some excellent stuff these episodes. Um, we open 39 with a very interesting piece of information. Noelle doesn't know who Zanigo is. Like, two scenes into the episode, Noelle says he's never encountered him before. And, you know, in the opening, he's like, oh, I didn't know there was another status double gold, which he absolutely made up on the spot. Like, this means that either he didn't see who killed whoever he's looking to save and Koguri is withholding some information from him, or Noel's loved one was killed by someone else. My bet being on the latter, because Kyrie notices this at the end of the episode, and that's who we cut to. We cut to Destra. I don't know if I actually said Destra there. You, you didn't, I was just about to ask. But, but um, we cut to Destra. Like, Kyrie's sitting there thinking about this exact point, like, I wonder who killed his loved one then. And then we, we scoop over to Destra drinking. And go and Ghosh walks in. And if that's the case, can Noel even, you know, get the good ending that everyone else seems to be headed towards? It's a nice little bit of tension that we're introducing uh here in the eleventh hour of this show. Which, I mean, look, it is a Kamura Junko joint. And that's how she do. It's true. It is a frustrating feature of how she do, but I I would respect it if she was a little better in the middle. That's all I'm saying. Though this one was much better than Zhuoger. Yes. I, that's, like, I'm not, that's I'm not true. really throwing shade. But, uh, just... still has some some issues. Yeah, some stuff I, I would change if it were me. But, um, I, I do think you're onto something with the the killed by someone else thing, because that's I never even assumed that whoever he lost was taken by Zamigo, because it just it felt weird that it would be, because otherwise it would be a lot more narratively expedient to just like have him mention it much early on, and then they can say, oh yeah, our our friend our people were killed by him too, and and that's like a way to cement their bond or something. I don't know. It, it would be a lot more narratively expedient, especially as we head into the home stretch. But hey, I like I like Destra as the guy who did it. Yeah, no, I'm, mostly because I just like, want to have Destra be doing some things. Especially since we've we've is Destra the guy who's like distributing all of the Lupin collection pieces, or did I dream that? Um, 
it seems like... He's got some sort of role. It seems like he has kind of his own little stockpile of them that he's been handing oh, okay. out. Um, I don't think... Like, I think just everyone has some. Like, most of them only have one, but him and Gauss are, like, higher up the totem pole. So they have an amount of them. And I think that Destra's kind of, like, run out of them at this point. Yeah, it was something like that. So, I mean, I'd love it if we found out the way he got them was from Noelle's um, best friend, air quotes, who also worked at the Lupin Estate, you know, who's probably a dashing young man in his own right. You know, his best friend, those two guys who are just pals. Two bros sitting in a hot tub five feet apart because they're not gay. Yep, yep. Uh, Just a pair of confirmed bachelors. Just uh, being, being totally hetero together at all times. I mean, yeah, okay, actually, I say that, and it's, and I realize, oh, wait, that does kind of tread a little close to the the, the dead gaze. But he, he's, this dude is getting revived? I don't know. I just, I would really just like it if his true love was a dude. And they would say it for out loud in the Sentai show for babies, so that maybe some poor kid can just be like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> The coolest dude. All right, I don't have to feel quite so bad because <laughs> it look it's it, I it's it's tough dealing in, in living in a a homophobic place, but it, I like finding out that kids don't have to feel quite so isolated when stuff like that happens. And let's move on because I'm about to go to a really maudlin place, and I don't want to do that because this is a good show and. Uh, I want that imaginary child in my head to actually be happy. Um, so for all that Keitro was on thin ice for a little bit, I do appreciate how much the show is really having him working on kind of gently looking after Kyrie at this point. Yeah. Like, just a lot of that trying just a little too hard kindness that is what endeared me to him in the first quarter of this show is finally back on the surface, and it's nice to see that because i've missed that side of him and i also just enjoyed narratively that it's the exact wrong thing for him to be doing like Keitro's just trying to be a good person and a good friend and you know just help this kid out because he seems distressed and he's going about it in what would normally be like a really good way but in this specific circumstance he's kind of making the problem worse and I think that's good dramatic writing. I have to agree. Because on top of him moving that side of the plot forward in his really awkward way where he becomes Kyrie's friend kind of in spite of himself, it just... It also lets him carry forward one of his best defining character traits in that he's allowed to be a guy who's not great at social interactions but is trying his hardest. And in this house, which is to say on this podcast, we appreciate people who aren't exactly great at what they're doing, but try their best. That is, in fact, one of our favorite things. Uh, But more than anything, I'm just glad that we've moved away from just some of the garbage takes we kept getting where he's just screaming like a badly written version of Zenigata. Because, like, look, I like Zenigata. You like Zenigata. 
in this house, we appreciate Inspector Zenigata. We do. I, that I hard, adore him. suffering man who is just, he just wants to do the right thing and to uh, capture Lupin's heart. That is canon. That's a thing he said. That's not even canon. That is textual. That is words that came out of his mouth. Yeah. Like, I don't remember the Japanese, but that was that was how they translated it, and I heard Kokoro in there, so you know what? <laughs> but I just, I like me a well-done Zenigata, and Keichiro deserves a better characterization in the show than a shin, than rather a thin shadow of everyone's favorite inspector. Because just him screaming, Arg Lupins! Like, that's... It's funny now and then, but if it isn't cut with, again, with that guy who who just let a really sweet girl who had a crush on him and who he had a, like, a thing for go off and live her life because he's quite certain that he would be a very bad boyfriend to her because he, that's just not what he's equipped for. If we don't have that guy in there... There is no point to Keichiro. Like, if we don't have the dude who gets dunked on by, like, an eight-year-old and still works himself nearly to death making sure that crappy little kid gets his stupid field trip, I'm never going to be over that kid. Ever. But, like, if you don't have that guy in the characterization of Keichiro... There's no reason for him to be here. Like, we only need Tsukasa and Sakuya if those are there. Which is another way of saying we only need Tsukasa. Because, <laughs> anyway, that's... I'm just going to start circling. Because I really like when they do Keichiro well. I like all the Big Brother stuff he does, too. That time when... Again, I always come back to this, but it's one of my favorite bits. That time when he's going over to Ka Kairi, because Kairi is standing on that bridge looking real distraught and he's just like hey buddy you're uh looking kind of messed up you're not planning on doing anything stupid are you like he intervened to try and stop a kid doing what looked like maybe thinking about a suicide and he stopped him he intervened not in a violent way, but in a manner that said, hey, what's up? I care about people on a person-to-person -person basis, which is just, it's beautiful. He can lose his, I'm okay with him losing his way because he just, he hates crime so much. And then he remembers, oh, right, I hate crime because crime hurts people. Crime is things that hurt people. I hate that. Like, he's a very important character to me. And for, like, half this show, he's got no love. Yeah. It's just... Anyway, he's back. The yes, he's the show that we love is back. Yep. I, I hope he stays. So, last episode, we brought this up as kind of an idea, but now we have confirmation that being iced by Zamigo is not, in fact, a death sentence. Um, it's kind of more of a suspended state that he can release people from at will. Which means that Zamigo has just collected a large handful of people that he's keeping suspended and alive somewhere for who knows what. Like, does he have 
something that he plans to do with them? Is he selling them off to Gauch to fund him buying ice to chew on? I don't know what he's would be doing with the money, but is he just, you know, does he have some kind of arrangement with her? Like, what's he doing? What's he up to with this? Okay. Because he, um, seriously, just bunch of people. Right, I just want to say, like, that thought had not occurred to me, Sono, so I think I have to give you the taking things to a really dark place crown, at least for this episode, because that is dark. Yeah, I mean, like, what would he be, because that's what they do. That's what we find out him shooting people with ice does, is they, it transports them somewhere else and suspends them until he decides to let them out. So what is he doing with them? And also, that would explain where Gauche is getting people. That's true, and why she stopped trying to kidnap them. So, I mean, look, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just like, I had not thought about that, and yikes, yikes, double yikes, man. Ugh. Though, I have to say, I I would honestly be glad if he was up to that, because that is the kind of callous and casual disregard for life I like in a supervillain, especially a supervillain who I am reasonably sure is gonna get got. So, you know, if we know he's gonna get murdered, I mean, it's not murdered if they have a good reason, but if he's gonna get got by these Sentai, right? Yeah. I don't feel like that's a question. I'm, this is a Sentai. Yeah. Every, that everyone is... gets got. Yeah. Even the people where you're like, nah, they don't deserve to get got, let them go. Or that person, or they don't deserve to get got because they'd be a great villain next year or for the movies or whatever. But no, this dude's going to get got. Why not have him selling people out for Gosha's impromptu and unwelcome surgery hobby? Like, I'm not saying I want that to happen to anyone because that is a special kind of nightmare hell. Like, hey, uh, last thing I remember, I was getting shot in the face by this weird plant man. Where am I? Oh, uh, you're in my lab. And then there's just the high-pitched sound of a... Not even a high-pitched sound. It's just a chainsaw. It's just low thing, just weird fish lady holding up a chainsaw. I'm gonna see how your insides work. Like... <laughs> Again, he's gonna get got. I would... I'm not saying I want bad things to happen to those people. It's just, but it I gives definitely a want very to good reason it. for him to get God. Yeah, I mean, because he's not actually killing them. Because I thought he was killing them. Which, like, I understand maybe that might be a little too dark for the kids' show. I don't know. At the same time, I was like, y'all spent most of the show letting me think that, like, he turned them to ice and then made them explode when their loved ones were, like, incredulous and went to touch them on instinct. And I love the way that this information is revealed to the pot rangers, and then Noel has to find out from them, and there's this sort of piece by piece of the information traveling to the Lupin Rangers, who are the ones that this changes everything for. Like, I hate that Zamigo has finally thrown a fascinating wrench into the works of this show because god, I still don't care about him. But just the way this information kind of moved through this episode was really good. Yeah, it really was. And, I mean, look, I'm right with you, though, about Zamigo, because 
he, I know he's there to be the villain, and I probably should have put this in the bad stuff, but just... Like, he's not even actively engaged in the meta plot. I, I get that he's supposed to, like, have his own thing or whatever. He's supposed to be the meta plot as opposed to just the inciting incident for the series, and he's he's not doing that. He's, he's the Guinness of this season. Just wandering around, being vaguely evil in the most, like, nonchalant way possible, which is... I mean, who who cares? I you don't care. Why do I? Gosh is over here, and she's having a good time. I, I'm engaged with Gosh, not two, just with uh, Destra. I'm engaged with Destra. I'm into Degranio. I think Degranio is fascinating. I love that dude. Yeah, and I mean, like, I'm gonna skip ahead a thing, but like when Zamigo got really excited about Kyrie like beating him in a fight, like I was like, oh man. You're feeling something. What's that about? Tell me, like, I kind of wanted to see more. We, give him give him a soliloquy about how much he wants that kind of a fight. I don't care. Just, I want to I care about him. I want it to be more than just, oh, hey, it's that guy. I guess it's time for plot now. I'm sorry, but we're... Let's, let's keep on... Let's get back on the, the train of good stuff, because there's... And I hate admitting this, although at the same time I'm very glad that I get to say this. The scene between Umika and Sakuya was really cute and really sweet. Like, Sakuya walked in, read the room, dialed it back because he's like, Oh, hey, uh, she looks upset. She doesn't need me, you know, jumping all around like an excited puppy right now. And sat down to try and help her with her problem. Yeah, I was I was similarly pleasantly surprised because I I did not see it happening, but the big gap between the last time we saw him creeping on her and now, which like I feel like it's been a few months. It has. It's been a while. Yeah, which good. He he, he had like a focus episode that was actually not bad. So when he fi- when they finally interacted properly again. I'm okay with it, and he's actually being cool, and that was so nice. Yeah, and, like, he actually gave her some really good advice. Right? And she was able to make really big decisions based on the perspective that he gave her. And he was able to be satisfied with that. Like, she took off, and he didn't try and really chase after her. He's like, oh, I helped. Cool. Back to work. (laughs) Like, it was a really nice scene, and I'm glad that the last quarter of this show, or even the last third, time is a mystery, and I've ascended past it. Time is an illusion, lunchtime doubly so, sentai time triply so. But, like, it's... I'm glad that the last chunk of this show is able to kind of bring me back around on Sakuya. He's still going to come out of this show as the least good Green Ranger that I've encountered, that I've encountered. But at least he won't walk away as the only outright bad one. Like that's that's Sak- really all I was hoping for. Yeah, no. What else could you hope for at this point? That's it's nice. Especially since, hey, guess what? We've actually brought back Sakuya Watch for a second, and surprisingly we get to say he was actually a person for a second. It was great. It was. And this concludes our Sakuya Watch segment. But, like, coming coming back to Zamigo, 
um, and just sort of how he doesn't work and only worked for like half a second in this episode it makes me wonder if you know something was going on with his his face actor who i think is also his voice actor when he's in the monster form i don't think his voice think so, changes yeah. um not really like i i wonder if there was something going on that caused him to be absent because you know i found out the other day that the reason that we lost vernage for a good chunk of build is because her voice actress was sick with something in her throat and couldn't oh. a- couldn't do a voice um, well, that explains a bit, yeah. Which, you know, you just gotta work around it. It's what happened with Hana, so I've heard. It's what happened with Hiori. Um, like, you just gotta work around it, and there's nothing you can do, and you gotta find a way to make it work, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I'm just, I'm wondering if there's been some reason that he hasn't been able to be around and they've just kind of been trying to work around it. I like, I don't want to say I hope so. Cause I don't want anything bad to happen to that guy. Cause well, or even if, if it was just a, a Koyomi situation where he had to do other work. Yeah. Cause like, Lord, that'd be okay. Lord knows I'm sure there's someone out there paying him better than Toei. That, that is what I've heard is usually the case. But yeah, I, uh, I imagine that. I hope that's the case, because it's just, it's hard, it's easy to believe it's not, because this is a thing that happened the last time Junko Kimura wrote a thing, and you just gotta wonder. Uh, going into 40, I admit that I'm a huge sucker for the Dugong versus Manatee joke, and how, <laughs> like, the punchline is, it doesn't matter because it, he's both like, it's right there in his name. And also, he's a gangler, and we need to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, that's actually a really good summation of his whole power in, you know, this is, and his whole real presence. Like, the, it's a very missing the forest for the trees sort of thing that actually is kind of fascinating in the way that he's written. Like, again, his his whole power and the very context of who he is, is based around getting so caught up in semantics and what-ifs that priority and focus on the things that actually need to be handled is completely lost. Which is why we don't get the Pot Rangers in this episode. Because they're so busy arguing about the semantics of a dugong versus a manatee and which is cuter. I mean, look, in fairness, that's an important question. It just is. But I just... I have to say, like, before we go much further, I want to say, there is no attack in Sentai that I have seen that has been quite as frightful to me as as this dude's power, because it's anxiety-based catastrophizing. Because I'm just, I'm watching this thing like, yeah, it is awful when you just go mad being scared of nonsense. That, that is, that sucks. Seriously, a dude who gives you an anxiety disorder as an attack, that's just... That is mean. Only things... Like, other things are scarier to consider. Like, they're more existentially terrifying. They'll kill you. They'll turn you in... Like, you'll get eaten by kudzu. But this this guy just... Yo, yeah, you're you're alive. You will never be happy again. 
that's that is unfriggin' kind. Though I do but, appreciate but, uh, just the bit of Sukasa being like, no, this is important. We need to talk about this because manatees are cuter. And everyone's just like, you know what? Fair enough. Sukasa's the one that knows about that kind of thing. I mean, she is the the world's foremost cutologist. Yeah. I, I just appreciate that she's become so comfortable with that that she's able to bring it up at work. That's and... true. I'd not thought about that. Good call. Because, I mean, like, in the beginning of the show, she didn't want anyone to know about it. And now she's just like, nah, man. Like, this is this is cuter than this. That's the rules. And everyone's like, yep. yep. You're the one that understands these things. We believe you. And, and look, I gotta say, like, I was not really aware of any substantive differences in the types of cute manatees and dugongs are until I saw them side by side. Like, I just, I was very, I was actually very happy to, to have an expert school us on which one is cuter. That was very nice, because I just sort of taken them as, like, different names for the same kind of big friendly sea mammal because I don't know a whole lot about big, friendly sea mammals. Especially since most of the ones I used to think were friendly turned out to be, like, the most vicious killers in the sea. Orcas. Orcas look adorable. They look like you just swim up to them and hug them. They're and then you find out, like... absolutely terrifying. Because they look yeah. like... They just look like big sea pandas. Yeah. But they're, they're you... horrifying. Yeah. It's like, oh, why do they call them killer whales? Oh, that's just a thing they call them, and it's bad that they call them that, because that encourages people to kill them and it's like look i don't want anyone to to go and kill them because that's bad but also don't that's, go near them that's an accurate name yeah <laughs> also um just one last thought about the the gangler um he i love that he's he uses like that super polite language and occasionally it's just punctuated with moo yeah because he's a sea cow he's a sea cow yeah, exactly. I love that. It's he's, precious. He's, yeah, he's great, and and we saw a bit of him just hanging out, scrapbooking. He's got a whole homemade textbook about the the Lupins and the Pat Rangers, and he's even seen the movies that I haven't seen. At least that's where I think the, the like tricolored um, it is. Lupin. It's from the movie. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure they're I'm the honest. same books that Guy used. I think so. He oh, he stole from Ikari Guy. He's fiendish. Well, he is. That or... He is. He's also uh, seafaring. So that's oh, that's true. Of course. Of course, he could, he's he could probably some parlay for it. I was just thinking, like, I was just thinking maybe Guy just published it. Because look, once he can say no, I am literally Gokai Silver. I will prove it to you. I have the powers of all of these sixth rangers. So here's my book about Super Sentai. Publish it. I'll go on tour when I'm next on this planet again. Okay, okay. And then just the the this dude was just like, uh, sir, I would like to purchase this periodical. Thank you, Moo, because he's great. I was so sad they had to kill him. But also, he gives you an anxiety disorder with the power of his gaze. So, you know, kill him. Yeah. And speaking of that, um, I do actually really enjoy Toma and Umika's irrational worrying. Um, 
it's a really funny bit. Especially with Umika being the one kind of remaining grounded in this is highly unlikely, but technically still possible. Where Toma is the one veering immediately into the absolutely nonsensical. Like, it's it's fun to see Toma, who, as I mentioned, is the rational one, fly into complete absurdism for a joke. Like, not only is that a fun juxtaposition, but these are still, like, their actual thought processes. So it gives kind of this goofier undertone to Toma that he gets sometimes that really, really works for him. Like, where is he pulling this woodpecker thing from? Is it... Is it goofy folklore that his mom told him as a kid to keep him from eating too much? In a sort of, like, tooth fairy-ish kind of way? Or is it is it a joke that he makes with Aya sometimes if they, you know, they make a little extra money and buy a ton of food and he jokes about a woodpecker flying in and attacking them? Like, where is where is he getting it? <laughs> And just having them so caught up in that fantasy that Goody shows up and becomes the woodpecker, like oh, that's that a so that's good. a great cap to that joke. Like I just I really appreciate the way this show goes about lightening Toma up because he yeah. his archetype doesn't always get that. It I feel like doesn't. I feel like he and Joe are the ones that really and again Komura wrote Joe. Komura was the r- one writing the bulk of the Joe episodes. That's so true. I just I feel like that's kind of a thing she likes that I'm all that is also just way up my alley. Same. Well, cause she she makes him she gives him these funny things, but doesn't make them like humiliating, or even if it is something he's like embarrassed by. Sorry again. He still looked amazing in that spandex, and I don't think anyone could have rocked it quite as well as he could. And I mean, like, except Sakuya, look, he who also looked good, but and he, he he owned it for the time that he had to be in it. He was like, "Well, yeah. this is what I'm doing right now. I never want to talk about it again, but we're getting this done." He had that dignity that you need to pull that off, because if there was any break in his dignity up to that point. It wouldn't have worked. It's just, it's good. Also, I just want to say, like, look, much as, again, the the gayest that they're all under is frightful in the extreme. Like, I actually think the woodpecker popping and over full belly is actually some really great visual comedy, just, like, as an idea. It's just, I, I love the, the full final gag of him running into this lady who turns out to be an assassin, and then he stress yes! eats to the point where he, where he's, like, inflated, and then the woodpecker comes in, and I'm like, Toma, Toma, are you okay? You forgot the best part. The assassin looks just like his ex-wife. His ex-wife, the lady at the store, who, like, she- No, I, no, like, she, they is, have kids. she is the assassin. Yeah, but oh, it. But it, it is just that big, long, just that series of things, and I'm like, I have had that day. I have had the day where I am just. That is where my brain goes. It's though. In fairness to Toma, I do want to say, I do want to point out, uh, he lives in a Sentai universe. There is a non-zero chance, dude has seen someone in a restaurant explode. 
because of an explosive woodpecker. That's fair. I'm I'm not saying it's a thing that happens commonly, but what? there's been a Weird there's been a woodpecker monster in, in Sentai. Weird yeah. stuff happens. It's like yeah, Toma, and... are you okay? What what has happened to you? Yeah, you just you just want to know. It's like in Sailor Moon. Everyone who lives in that one district of Tokyo, it's like, hey, who here hasn't spent like a week in a coma having your energy drained because yeah, you, know? you like went to a theme park? Hey, remember when there were those weird pets that were animals that no one had ever heard of and no longer exist anywhere? And everyone got them, and everyone who got one just went comatose for like a month. Remember that stuff? I'm but just the saying, school district a... here is great. Yeah. <laughs> is it though? I remember Usagi. Like I've I've heard about Usagi's teachers, and they're not anyway. No, uh, her her teacher not... was she was a fine teacher. Usagi was just a terrible student. Oh, well, there's that. Then. And her teacher was exhausted by her. Ah, well, that sounds fair. I'm just saying, like, anyone living in a superhero universe can be, like, I, I you can imagine how they would attach to something weird, like a woodpecker ex making someone's stomach explode. Yeah. But it's, like, e just taking it out of the metal level, though, it is still such a good joke. Like those bits made me laugh a lot. Like they were they were really fun bits. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, episode forty, as we're about to head into the like final stretch of this show, this is a good breather before we go into that. It really is. It it we have complained about the pacing. This is good pacing. And Kyrie taking care of a puppy was the sweetest thing. And just, it's a really good oh, way of giving him something to care about that isn't, you know, his anxieties over not being as good as his brother, or this mission to save these people, or just how angry he is about Zamigo. Like, Kyrie's still capable of looking at the world beyond all of that and wants to protect things. And that's an important insight into where he is at episode 40. Like, that's it's good that he can still be that person. Yeah, it is. And gosh, what a cute puppy, too. Oh my god, like, what a cute puppy. Like, a baby Shiba. At least I think it was a Shiba. It was, I, I it was definitely a Shiba. Um, I thought so, but I don't always recognize dog breeds. But, just but little, what a cutie. Little baby! Yeah, it's just it's, so it, tiny, oh my goodness. It brings me back to Tokyujur and Akira with the kitten. Oh, every time he saw a cat, he loved it so much. It's all... Not, I mean, which, look, I'm really sad that they never did something with Tama. Yeah! Yeah! Oh, the Tokyujur special where Akira just meets... Like the 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 weird like puppet head version of Tama. Oh, I mean that was, was that just... was the fan art I had to draw when Tama passed. Bless her. Oh, oh. I'm, getting, I'm getting emotional. 
I get very emotional about Tama, but that was, like, I got out of bed at, like, one in the morning, and I'm like, I need to do this right now. There's a reason they said that Tama is now the god of that train station. Yes, she's she's ascended, and I'm proud of her, and I'm very emotional. That's... Okay, well then I'm I'm just gonna help bring us down before we start like getting weepy about uh, adorable kitties who are gods, um, and just say like much as I I appreciate why Kyrie is going out of his way to take care of this puppy because again, wow what a cute puppy! <laughs> I'm just like Kyrie, ask your friends to help you. This is a, a very important skill, especially for a Sentai member. Y'all know, y'all have very different social circles. Between you, you could have found someone even faster. Because, like, I know he found someone anyway. But come on. I I, I appreciate that he's probably not going to try and keep the dog in the restaurant. You know, health code violations. But I'm just saying there's better places for that dog than a shack by the river. I mean, I, I appreciate that it's probably... Actually, no, it is, It is like, autumn coming on winter. Let's get that dog somewhere insulated. Yes. Um, also, there's a really, really subtle piece of foreshadowing uh, from the beginning, from very early on in this episode. Um, when Toma and Umika are tailing Kairi, right before, like, the last pass through an alley they make before going onto the bridge that Kyrie is hiding the puppy under, there's a statue of a Shiva dog. And it's a small detail that doesn't really mean anything, but y'all know I love set design, and it's just this little cue that's really fun to pick up on a second watch. That, that is an absurdly good catch. High five through the, over the interwebs. That's, that's real good. You're, you're, you're kicking some tail this, this episode, gotta say. Doing all them good catches. Lots of lots of neat little details in these episodes, and I'm real into. Though them. also, subtextually, does that imply that this dog is self-created or born of of the stone Shiva? Is this is that is that little dog going to be like the new monkey? Going to help going to help some wise monk find enlightenment and share it with the world? I I don't know. Now I'm just like the the puppy who emerged from the stone dog is, uh, like, that feels mythic as hell. That's some some lore we're gonna have to incorporate into some stuff. But also just uh, circling back to Kyrie, the bit where he's like, Keitra, give me your phone, and downloads the phone game for him, it's a, it's a really sweet little bit of development and a thing for him, just a really sweet thing for him to come back to. Because he's realizing that, you know, the people around him really do care about him. And especially Keitro, he's not patronizing him or mocking him or trying to be better than him the way that he kind of always has assumed his brother has been. Like, Toma and Umika and Keitro and, and his brother all care about him and want to do their best to help him and see him be happy. And it's maybe for the first time that he's really kind of let him feel himself feel that that people actually like him and that he is good enough for all of these people who like him and it's nice to see him open up 
a little in response to those feelings. It really is. And it's, it's, I like seeing the dude embrace the best part of the Lupin legacy. Because it's not just stealing stuff. Because, you know, Lupin's good at stealing stuff, and, and he, he does it a lot, but the the Lupin legacy that I attach to hardest, which is the one I know best, which is Lupin the Third, it's not just stealing stuff, it's that you steal stuff with a group of friends that you love and respect, even when sometimes they want to put you in jail and or kill you. Or both. Lupin has a very complicated relationship with his people. I mean, in real life, don't just don't hang out with people who want to kill and or jail you. That's a bad scene because you there's a non-zero chance you'll get jailed and or killed. But in fiction, it works just fine because Lupin doesn't get caught, and when he is caught, he never stays caught. And when he's killed, he doesn't stay dead, which is not generally speaking, a very common skill set. So, just... This is... Lest I be accused of encouraging people to do some incredibly stupid things. Um, and I think that's it for, for our highs and lows on these episodes. Yeah? Any last-minute ones? Yeah. Uh, so then let's uh, take a look at the Lupin collection this time round. Okay, 39 leaves us with the only collection piece that I still don't totally understand. Ranger Wiki describes it as a flight, based on a flight pattern used by uh, the Jetman team. I'm super unfamiliar with Jetman, so I don't exactly know what that means. And I know you, you know Jetman better than I do, so I was hoping you could provide a little clarity on Honestly, that. Honestly, like, that is, like... Since it, I, most of them were based on merch, I'm guessing it, it was probably, like, based on a frisbee. Because I, all I can say is, that is a formation you will see them in during the opening, and I think maybe a couple times throughout the show, just, just like, falling, you know, gliding downward with, you know, all holding hands and just sort of making a big circle midair. That's, that is literally all that's going on. Like, I'm guessing that thing is just like a throwing disc. I guess that would make sense. It, I guess a Jetman piece based on them, like, falling together is a good choice for a collection piece that makes people float. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, and hey, all of them could fly anyway, so, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that makes good, sense. Good choice, I guess. Yeah, well, what else were they going to do other than, like, the, the changer or one of the, the jet pieces that turns into the robot? Yeah, I mean, that's never stopped them from doing that before, so I guess I'm glad they got a little creative with it. True, true. Um, now, according to Ranger Wiki, the name of the piece is I Want to Fly, uh, which Ranger Wiki, and I don't always know where Ranger Wiki's sources are, maybe this comes directly from the source, but uh, they say it's a reference to the song Fly by a band they list as Sugar Ray, no R at the end of Sugar, just S-U-G-A. Um, but Google only shows the ninety, like the late nineties, early aughts band Sugar Ray having a song by that name. How to put this 
delicately and not just impose my personal taste on everything. But I've already done that so many times. So that song sucks. <laughs> that song is not good. And I only bring that up because there is a much better song that actually has that the name I Want to Fly in the lyrics. I mean, I know it is in Fly by Sugar Ray as well, but it's also in the lyrics. Um, and the song would be Fly Like an Eagle by Seal. Um, and on top of how that is a much better song, do not at me. If one were to fly in a manner similar to an eagle, which is the name of that song, one might fly like a hawk, as in the leader of Jetman, who was Red Hawk. So there you there go. go. And also, again, like, I, I don't know how my cool music guy cred goes saying that, like, Seal's very soulful kind of adult contemporary thing is better than just the garbage like early aughts rock pop things that Sugar Ray was doing but um at least Seal like has an aesthetic that is that is good Seal did kiss by kiss from a rose okay he he did kiss kiss from a rose and he he he, him and Heidi Klum were married, and Seal is cool. <laughs> to the best of my knowledge, I don't actually know a ton about Seal. If he's bad, I don't want to know. All musicians tend to be, but I don't want to know. Let's move on, because I'm just going to keep talking. <laughs> so, Forty's collection piece is just Dodecaio's spear, but small, with very little other modification to it. It's pretty much just that which i guess is appropriate for a gangler that's themed after a nautical sea mammal and also a boat like those are things both things that dodecaio like dodecaio was a sea mammal and the dude chasing after him was a pirate so thematically it works i guess i mean i have to respect how long they took before doing a juoger callback in this thing i guess um, I mean, not to get all well, actually, but the first collection piece we got in the show was Cube Octopus. Oh, right. Yeah. Huh, well, I'm, I am corrected, thank you. I mean, it was much less obviously Cube Octopus than, than this, <laughs> this was. Because that was, that was just literally like someone took the toy. Hey, here you go. Yeah, like, that at least, like, they made him into a big die. Uh, yeah. Where this is... This is just Dodecaio's spear. They yeah. they ran out of time and budget to remodel these things. Which, you know, look, I get, but... Wow. Anyway, uh, the piece was called Smoke on the Water. And uh, if you don't know the song Smoke in the Water by Deep Purple... Well, I was going to say something insulting, but I think that only really means that... Uh, Go listen to it. Of... Spotify exists. Yeah, yeah. Um, there'll be a link to a YouTube in the as mentioned. Just, uh, I guess all it would really mean is that my collection of references to songs from before I was born is really old, you know, just like me. So, yeah. And I think that's it. That's it for the Lupin collection. So I just want to throw out one more thing, just 
at random, because that's how I do. But, um, you, I think it was last time, maybe the time before, uh, you mentioned the, like, the skeleton bits thing going on with the ganglers. Because there's, there's the, the ribs on Gauche, the arm bones on Zamigo, the, the, the Tyrannosaurus skull on Tigrano, and, and the, the leg, the, the leg bones on Destro. But this time I noticed that Destro's legs are like monster skeleton legs, like dinosaur skeleton legs, possibly of a type that would work on a dinosaur monster, like what would happen if there was a Gangler Gestalt Godzilla at some point. It's not going to happen. I am almost certain it is not going to happen. I really, really want it to, though. I want... I want Gauche and Degrano and Destra and Zamigo to, like, form into a giant dinosaur Godzilla monster. And then for that giant dinosaur Godzilla monster to, like, lose its arms when Zamigo bails. And then it's just like, it's like a Tyrannosaurus Rex just has little tiny arms. Because the guy who was supposed to be the arms just left. I mean, I'm not, I, I realized that the, much as I, I, really don't remember much of anything about the Disney 3 computer animated film Meet the Robinsons? Meet the Robinsons, yeah. I okay, do, it and it's a great movie. It but is a I'll, very, I'll... very cute, sweet movie that I would recommend you watching again, because I think you would enjoy it. Uh, look, the thing I remember most, actually, like, the only thing I really remember is the Tyrannosaurus. Just, I have a big head and little arms, and I'm just not sure that you planned this out very well. They they advertised the movie on that scene. Look, if you were going to advertise it on anything, that would be the one. That's a great scene. It's again, I've seen the movie like three times. I just that is the bit that gets me because <laughs> it's so it's so good. I love um, that movie. Yeah, I think it's deeply underrated. Well, I'll have to try it again because. Hey, I, I sure wouldn't mind having a new Disney movie to be fond of. It's very sweet. Good. Um, so is there any any last minute thoughts we got? Uh no, I think that's it really. Alright. Uh then I think we'll we'll call this one done. So then for Laser Knees and the rest of the Toll Network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sonia. And I have a big head and little arms, and I'm just not sure I planned this out so well.